Hey, thank you so much, Megan. It's so good to see so many of you, familiar faces and friends and clients and new faces, folks who are joining the Wild Conversation. I am excited for this topic, so we are going to jump right on in. I'm Dr. Daniel Halleck, and welcome to the Wild Conversation, where we make the best thinking in psychology, leadership, and organizational science accessible to leaders who are willing to learn and edit for their sake and for the sake of others. We are in the middle of our series on toxic leaders, specifically today, looking at blame. And this series is important because we see the word toxic thrown around all the time. That's a toxic person. That's a toxic leader. I'm part of a toxic culture. It's in articles, memes, podcasts, books. And so this idea of being a toxic leader and how do we be not that for ourselves and other people is important. I've got to say, though, at the front end, getting into this topic was incredibly challenging for me. When the team picked these topics, I told myself, I cannot wait to hear what Dr. Rob McKenna has to say about this topic, and I'm going to learn from him. And I'm actually going to be leading the content today. And so that's going, even preparing for this was convicting for me personally and professionally. I found myself just last night blaming people for something. At least I was aware of it, but I'm thinking I'm leading this content tomorrow. And so with that note for myself, I want to invite you into considering what this means for you today and resisting the temptation as we get into this content to think about, you know what, I really wish, insert leader's name, heard this. They absolutely need this for themselves. I just, they need to hear this. There are certainly things that I hope will be worth sharing from today, but I want to invite us to think about ourselves first before we think about the other person that needs to hear something about toxic leaders and about blame. Here's my big idea. My big idea for us this morning is that chronic blame shifting erodes our agency and our capacity to lead effectively. Chronic blame shifting erodes our agency and our capacity to lead effectively. So let's define blame. Let's define agency. And then I want to look at what's the impact and the benefit of blame, both for us personally or in organizational systems. What's the impact? And then I want to look at the antidote for blame. And I'm going to share five ways that I think we can combat blame in ourselves and in our capacity as leaders. So what is blame? When I look at the definitions, whether it's dictionary or otherwise, blame almost always boils down to this idea of placing accountability or responsibility with the appropriate person or place. When you think about that, placing accountability or responsibility with the appropriate person, blame actually doesn't sound that bad. And when I looked at the definitions, I thought, you know, this doesn't sound like something that's really that toxic. When things go wrong, it's, it's important to know why something went wrong, who was responsible so we can hold them accountable, or at least know who to go to to rectify or remedy a situation. So that's important. We need to know where people have accountability, where there's responsibility. When we talk about blame, though, at work, 
I think we mean something a little bit different. This idea of the water cooler at work, from that standpoint, we're not necessarily talking about blame as in who is actually responsible and what do we do to remedy a situation. I think we're thinking of something I want to describe as chronic blame shifting. Chronic because it's a continual state. We just do it. It's, it's a bit of a default and blame shifting because it can, it's a process where we don't really look at ourselves, but we take the blame for something, whether we are fully or partially responsible and shift it to something else. It's a, it's a process where we don't take agency or responsibility for our actions or our part in a process. What I mean by that is the question, who is to blame, isn't really the issue. But if our default, our habitual way of responding, our knee-jerk reaction is, who can I blame for this? Who should I blame for this? That might be problematic. So as we think about blame, I want to think about that as chronic blame shifting. I think that's what we're probably referring to when we talk about toxic leaders in organizations. So what's agency? Agency is a $5 psychological word that we love to use because it captures this richness of our ability to take action and move with intent. Albert Bandura is a psychologist who did some of the seminal thinking on this idea of agency And he described four different aspects of it. The idea that when we exercise agency, we're bringing intentionality. We can be thoughtful about something we choose to do. We exercise forethought. We can think ahead and consider pros and cons and alternatives. We can be self-reactive. We can adapt and respond to different things that are happening around us. And we have the capacity for self-reflectivity to learn from situations, evaluate ourselves, and consider our next steps based on what we've learned. So that's what we mean by agency. Agency almost always accompanies or goes hand in hand with personal responsibility. To take agency requires you taking some sort of responsibility often for something. So why blame on leaders? Why are we focusing on toxic leaders? This matters for all of us personally and professionally, but as a leader, if you're going first and leading in a place, whether it's in your family, in your home, in your community, at work, leaders have a disproportionate impact on the lives and well-being of other people who don't have those same levels of responsibility. So blame matters for all of us, but it becomes even more important if we think about the places and spaces in which we lead. If you've been around wild for a bit of time, you've heard us give our definition of leader as a person who goes first. And that could be the first person to listen, the first person to take action. But we also describe leader as a neutral term. It's why you often see us use the word leader, not leadership, because leader is a neutral term. I could do incredibly meaningful things or incredibly terrible things, depending on your vantage point. And I could be effective at doing those. And so leader is a neutral term. It's not until we put our value system, we call somebody a toxic leader, a servant leader, a transformational leader. It's not until we qualify the term that has a valence or direction that has some deeper meaning for us. If leader is a neutral term, if that premise is correct, what it means is that all of us have the capacity to be or become toxic. We all have the capacity to be or become toxic. 
And I think that's a sobering level set to have to start this conversation from. It also means we all have the capacity to change or become something different. So there's some possibility there as well. And to make it even more interesting, your definition of toxic might be different than someone else's definition of toxic. So we could be coming at it from different standpoints. But but this idea of toxicity and blame matters, especially for leaders because of the levels of responsibility and the disproportionate impact on other people. So blame, why do we do it? What's the benefit and what's the impact? It's funny thinking about the benefit of blame because if, if we think about the idea of chronic blame shifting or a toxic leader, we get a caricature in our mind. And so it's hard to think of, well, what, what, what is the benefit? Why would somebody blame? But there's a strange maladaptive benefit to blame shifting, to chronic blame shifting. And what it does is it absolves myself. When I chronically shift the blame to someone or something else, it absolves me of my agency and my subsequent responsibility. And we might not be doing this willfully or intentionally. Oftentimes, we're trying to avoid pain or some sort of discomfort. And taking that responsibility might mean something for us. It might be pretty heavy, digging into deeper things in our story. And so in our effort to solve that pain, to solve that discomfort, to escape it, we end up doing something that actually might perpetuate a bit more negativity for us and other people. Again, appropriate blame matters. We do need at times to know who was responsible for something so we can go to them and figure out what to do next, or at least who's accountable. But the impact of blame, the impact of chronic blame shifting personally, is that you forfeit or lose your agency. When I choose to blame, I forfeit or give up for that moment my agency. And this is, I think, one of the great ironies inherent in this conversation. It's easy to blame toxic leaders. And often we might blame toxic leaders for being the person who blames other people and doesn't take responsibility. But in the process, we've actually become just as toxic as the person we're blaming. And we ironically can become the person that we hate. We become the thing that we hate that we blame somebody for as they blame others. And so as we blame others, the challenge is it dissolves me of responsibility. If I blame you, I don't have to take action or be implicated in some way. That's what it gets me. So even if it creates a host of other issues, it dissolves me of my responsibility. I don't have to do anything. I don't have agency. I don't have a need to take any action on this. We see this with kids. If you grew up in the 70s, 80s, or 90s, I think kids still do this today. But when I was a kid, this would happen. Allow me to get juvenile for a moment. If you're in a group of kids, say 10-year-olds, I've got an 11-year-old and a 10-year-old, and one kid passes gas, okay? One kid farts. Let's just go there. Here's what happens. If it's kind of loud, all of a sudden, people are going to look and they're going to blame that person. And pretty quickly, the person who caused the act or maybe another person steps in for them will say something like, well, you know, he who blamed it flamed it. So you called it out. It must have been you. Even as kids, we realize that the person who blames is... <laughs> It's just so silly to think of. The person who blames might be just as much of a culprit or might be the actual person in covering it, for, covering it up for themselves as the person who caused the act. And so even kids get this. 
at Wild, we have this, this concept that we do a lot of work around called leadership differentiation. And it in many ways is the heart of everything we do. We think of that as a proxy for emotional maturity and the thing that's underneath the things for most of leadership effectiveness. We can give you some resources if you want to get a little bit deeper into this. But this idea of differentiated leadership is this, staying true to your convictions while staying in touch with the convictions of others and avoiding the pressure to make them, other people, feel better or get tough. High pressure moments create the crucible for blame. And this idea of differentiation would be that I'm going to stay true to my convictions while staying in touch with the convictions of others. And that idea of avoiding the pressure to make them feel better or get tough means that in high pressure moments, I'm going to be attuned to you, to each of you, if I'm responsible for leading you. I need to care about what matters to you, what you think, what you feel, what your deeply held assumptions are, what your beliefs are, what your preferences are, what you're experiencing, what you value. I need to be in tune and attuned to you, but not to the extent that I'm going to become so enmeshed that whatever you want, need, think, or feel, I will acquiesce to because each of you wants something different. I can't make you all happy without lying to one of you at some point. So hopefully I'm attuned and in tune with each of the things that you need and holding in dynamic tension my own convictions, what I want, need, think, and feel, what I believe, my deeply held assumptions. But I'm going to hold those in dynamic tension because I'm not going to hold them so strongly that I'm going to club you on the head with them or force them on you, railroad you, or steamroll you. And so this idea of I'm going to be attuned to what matters to others and keep that in check with what matters to me and move from that place, that is incredibly difficult, takes a lot of work, and it's at the heart of our effectiveness as leaders. It's not a concept we made up. We've done a lot of work around it and extended it. One gentleman who did an incredible amount of work on this topic has passed away named Edwin Friedman, wrote some great books and great reading on this topic. If you want to dig a little bit deeper, he was asked once, what is the litmus test for a leader's differentiation, their capacity to be effective and attuned to others and also bringing their convictions at the same time? What he said is this. The litmus test for that level of effectiveness, that maturity as a leader is the person who can express themselves with the least amount of blame. The person who can express themselves with the least amount of blame. And you can imagine how that person is going to be attuned to you, but they're not going to blame you. And they're going to be attuned to themselves and they're going to take responsibility, but not blame you for what they've done either. At the heart of this is the ability for you to make a choice about how you're going to show up. A choice about how you're going to show up. Our agency is core to our ability to lead. So in many ways, if Friedman is right, then blame is like a check engine light for our hearts. I'll be honest, for me, it was recently, even preparing for this content, as I started to think about people I was blaming to say, okay, why am I blaming them? And what am I not wanting to take responsibility for? And what does that mean for me? So if the impact of blame on us personally is that we dissolve ourselves of our agency, what's the impact of blame when we shift blame, not to a person, but to a system? What about toxic cultures? 
Edgar Schein is one of the foremost thinkers on organizational culture. We reference his work. He's still alive in his 90s. And a friend of ours, Mark Vincent, just wrote a great book on called on process consulting, and it relates to organizational culture. And he's been corresponding with Edgar, Edgar and Dr. McKenna from Wild, both wrote uh, endorsements for his book. And he posted some correspondence with Edgar in his recent newsletter. And I want to read this because I thought it related so closely today. If leader is a neutral term, Edgar also suggests that culture is a neutral term and that we need to be careful to think of culture or organizational culture as neutral. Here's what he said to Mark. He wants us to see organiz- to, to view organizational leaders not to label culture as good or bad, but instead recognize it as a, a thing upon which they have influence. This is what Mark writes. Hmm, that would mean we, as actors in the culture, are the bearers of ill or benefit. We cannot blame a culture for what it cannot do. Point taken. It is up to us to make any transformative difference. Culture is inert and has no impact on itself. Leaders, individuals, in an organization, collective, work within our culture and make all the difference. We are given opportunity to shape a culture so that intentions and values embed at the center and become more visible. What I love about that is that suggests that maybe we don't have toxic leaders or toxic cultures. We have leaders and cultures which have the potential for and varying degrees of toxicity in them, but still have the possibility to change. Here's the big danger though. When we shift blame to a system, what it does is is it shifts blame to a much larger entity and it actually diffuses our agency even further. Picture you have a stain on your countertop. And you're going to take some cleaning agent, you're going to spray that, and you're going to wipe it out with a paper towel. You spray it, you got to wipe, maybe you get it out, maybe you don't get it all out and you have to call somebody to help you or get a different cleaning agent, but you're eventually going to get it out. Compare that to taking that same bottle of cleaning agent and just spraying it in the air. It quite literally diffuses into the air and there's actually no bearing on that counter. Nothing actually happened. You just, you just sprayed nothing. That's kind of like what, what it is when we blame an, 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 a system or a culture. And by the way, agency doesn't mean you can change everything. Well, it does suggest that we can do something. I'm not saying that systems don't need to change. They often do. But if we just blame the system without thinking about what can we actually work in within the system or what's our role in that system, it diffuses our agency and creates a bit more helplessness in us. So what's the antidote to blame? What helps us regain our agency? There's a lot of things. I'm going to share five quickly. The first is this. Start with yourself. In a high-pressure moment when blame has happened, What did you contribute, both good or bad, to the situation? Some of us need to be able to take responsibility and say, this is what I did that caused to the the, the issue we're dealing with. Some of us have the opposite problem. Some of us put on false humility and actually need to say, this is what I did that actually helped the situation. So it could be either, both good or bad. 
but blaming other people or other things can make us the victim and it takes away our agency and our ability. There's a famous story of Jesus where people are blaming each other and he says to them, and this is just whether somebody has a faith perspective or not that aligns with this, many recognize the story where he says, before you take the speck of sawdust out of your neighbor's eye, your brother's eye, take the log out of your own eye, which is great use of hyperbole because obviously a log wouldn't fit in your eye. But the point being, before you work on somebody else, before you blame other people, point the finger at yourself and say, what do I need to change first to be able to help them or before I even look there first? Most of us have a log in our own eyes. I know I do. Second and related, work and live within your control. Psychologists have a concept that's been really well studied called locus of control. And the basic idea is what are the things that you can actually control instead of spending all your psychological or emotional or even physical energy on things over which you have no influence? Living and working in your control is good for you psychologically, keeps you out of a place of bitterness, but it also allows you to say, what are the things that I actually can do? Okay, so maybe I have a culture that feels pretty toxic and I can't do everything. I can't change the culture, but I do have a pocket of that culture, whether it's the team over which I have responsibility for and the things I can do for their experience or an individual person who I work with. What are the things that I actually have within my control to do? Or maybe it's a conversation with somebody who has more formal power and authority over the mechanisms of the system. It's a lot more nuance and issues and challenges there, but it's, it's starting to say, what could I actually do? And sometimes working within your control is choosing to leave a system. And that's possible too. Three, make space for grace. There's an assumption that I have in this whole conversation that people can change, including me and including you. Sometimes my working assumption is that that's not the case, especially people who are close to me. But when we remember that people can change, it gives us a chance to give them a little bit of grace and to say, instead of complaining or blaming, I might have the opportunity to go to a person and have a conversation and give them a little bit of grace because I might not know what their intent is, even if the impact is adverse. And I want to understand where they're coming from. And I'm going to choose to not do an end around, create a triangle and go to somebody else and talk about it. I'm going to go to the person and have a conversation and create some space for grace for them. Give them a chance. By the way, there is a time and a place to vent. I'm not saying you can't do that, but I would suggest that it's probably not with other people who are part of the system in which you're in, which means complaining about work with people at work is probably not helpful for me or for them. Four, find your purpose. Why are you here? It's a question our team asks for every session, every engagement we do. And I don't just mean your grand purpose. I mean, why are you here at this specific moment for the specific people that you're in a challenging situation with? For example, if I have a conflict in my family with a specific family member, the extent to which I can remember why am I here for them will allow me to have a deeper grounding purpose for why I'm there, that might allow me to look beyond the discomfort and pain they're causing me, which is likely to result in blame, at least for me, and maybe think a little bit more intently about what are they going through? What's the bigger story here? 
And why is my purpose now matter for them now, for me now, and for our relationship in the future? And lastly, focus on potential. Some of us know the person who is an optimist. They have, they see the world as a glass half full, rose-colored glasses. There are no barriers. Everything's great and we can make it better. Of course, we react to that person. And um, the pessimist, the pessimist calls themselves a realist, by the way, they say, well, there's actually barriers and issues. So, you know, the glass is kind of half full. We have to deal with the challenges in front of us. A focus on potential is neither of those. It's a realistic but hopeful posture that says, I've got half a glass. What can I do with it? I'm aware of the barriers, the real limitations, but I'm going to do the work to think through with myself or others, what possibilities are in front of us in the face of these real barriers. What that does is it takes away some of the oxygen from the fire of blame and allows our agency actually to thrive and for us to consider what thing, even a small thing, can we do in a particular situation? As a leader, your agency and the exercise of it is one of the most profound things you have at your disposal. Who you are and how you show up matters as much, if not more, than merely what you do. So back to that big idea. No matter how adverse the situation, no matter what's happening, even if you have a little bit of control, chronic blame shifting erodes our agency and our capacity to lead effectively. Here's a question I'll leave you with, a wild question. How would your perspective be different if you believed other people could change? I know mine would. Thank you for listening to this Wild Conversation. To join our live Wild Conversation on Fridays, visit our website at wildleaders.org backslash wild conversation and subscribe to this podcast for regular whole and intentional leader development conversations. Have a great day.